Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Thursday, January 26, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of your morning across our great nation, across America, here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Thursdays, I always take a moment to, uh, to remind you that it was on Holy Thursday that our Lord Jesus Christ instituted the Holy Eucharist. So try to make a stop and visit the Blessed Sacrament sometime today, if it's possible, if you can, or if you can't today, try to do it sometime this week. Now, yesterday was the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Today, we are honoring two of Paul's companions in the memorial of Saints Timothy and Titus, two bishops of the Catholic Church in its early earliest days. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Father James Kabicki will discuss the significance of these two disciples of St. Paul the Apostle. I want to bring in our morning air team once again, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that you are keeping an eye on here this morning that are making headlines this hour? Well, John, if you ever get tired of seeing what uh, what I or Sarah are having for supper on your Facebook feed, you might have uh, some new info now. Former President Trump, He's going to be allowed to be back on Facebook and Instagram in the coming weeks. Yes, never a dull moment. Uh, <laughs> you, you always uh, wonder what uh, uh, the former president is going uh, to post uh, on any of his social media. And for the last couple of years, uh, since he's been banned from Facebook and Instagram, he's only been posting on uh, Truth Social. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not he even uh, goes back. Well, never a dull moment. At first, I thought you were talking about my Facebook feed, but I'm not posting what I'm having for dinner, Glenn. That'd be a lot of butter noodles. That's not exciting. But yes, Donald Trump, much more exciting than my Facebook feed. Yeah. In fact, I I was actually uh, kind of uh, upset at Facebook uh, for some time. I actually experienced myself uh, a shadow a banning. Uh, I, I, you know, you post something about uh, my son playing baseball and, you know, you get hundreds and hundreds of likes. You post something about our faith or something uh, about uh, pro-life and three or four people see it and it would drive me crazy. So I kind of took a little hiatus and, uh, you know, I'm considering uh, maybe getting back on my personal Facebook page. Of course, we're always posting on the Morning Air page. That is true. We're trying to always put something out there that's good news or the news that we're trying to share on the show. Yeah. And Glenn, uh, President Trump actually said that uh, just being banned the way that he was banned uh, from Facebook is is something that should never happen to a sitting president. Uh, when you think of, you know, the Ayatollahs and some of these dictators around the world, these guys are not banned from social media. And then you wonder why they did it to a U.S. president. I remember having conversations about you know, what happens doesn't happen, what can or should happen on Facebook over a dozen years ago when it was relatively new and the conversation on this very show, you know, ultimately came down to, well, it is a a private company that we voluntarily participate in and so they can do what they want, but yet it's become so big, it becomes, uh, they're worried that it may become regulated like speech over the airwaves. Well, um, let's talk football. (laughs) 
<laughs> coming up uh, this Sunday, uh, Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes and his sprained ankle. Uh, he says that he will be playing on Sunday in the AFC Championship game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, so that is good news uh, for Chiefs fans. It'll be interesting to see uh, how what percentage he's at because, you know, a sprained ankle is a big deal for a guy like Mahomes who relies on being able to move outside the pocket and, and find the open man. you got to be able to move. The wheels have to work, Glenn. As long as he's got an arm working, I think he'll he'll be okay. Uh, he's quite the quite the competitor. He was not happy to be pulled out of the game limping as he was last week. And uh, while he was out, the team still scored a, a touchdown on a very long drive. But uh, he was happy to be back in and performed well. He's played through pain before, and uh, undoubtedly he'll be doing that this weekend. But yeah, the AFC Championship game set for 5:30 Central. The Chiefs will host the Bengals Sunday night on the NFC side in Philadelphia. The 49ers will tangle with the Eagles that kick off a little bit after 2 o'clock Central Time. Well, I know what a big Vikings uh, fan you are, so you can appreciate uh, my uh, being nostalgic today on this day, uh, January 26. It was on this day in 1986 uh, that uh, Mike Ditka was being hoisted by the fridge and uh, the Chicago Bears as the Bears won Super Bowl 20, 46 to 10 over the New England Patriots. It's a day I was a young kid at the time, but it's a day I'll never forget. Oh, yeah. I remember watching that one. And uh, yeah, you put the fridge in the backfield and, uh, you know, almost like defenders are going to run the other way. Yes, that was the uh, Super Bowl shuffle uh, Bears uh, led by the punky QB, uh, Jim McMahon, and of course, sweetness, Walter Payton, perhaps one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, hey, we'll take a little credit there because McMahon, uh, after that, uh, spent a little time in Minnesota as well. So uh, anything close to that. Minnesotans like to, you know, uh, claim uh, claim someone even if they spend a few hours in the airport on a layover as as part Minnesotan. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I was thinking of that, taking part uh, of something that you have very little to do with. I mean, everyone's trying to get a piece of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Illinois, land of Lincoln, Indiana, Illinois' boyhood home, Kentucky. Everyone's trying to get a little piece of Lincoln. I don't know. Is Minnesota trying to claim any part of Abraham Lincoln yet? Oh, not that I'm aware of. I don't know. You know, I mean, we we uh, let the pennies lie on the sidewalk, I think. That's so we'll good. Okay, well, let him be, land you know, of Lincoln's uh, pennies one day. Yeah. They'll, they'll try to throw that in with the 10,000 legs, 10,000 pennies. So everyone's trying to get a piece of somebody. <laughs> All right. And in case you missed it, we, we chatted about it last hour. Uh, there is an asteroid. It's not real big. It's uh, about the size of a delivery truck uh, that is scheduled uh, to come uh, close to Earth, <laughs> quite close, uh, perhaps uh, the closest of, of any asteroid in recent times uh, down by the tip of uh, South America. So uh, that that's going to be interesting, uh, Glenn. Well, it's going to be 2,200 miles away from the Earth, so it's going to be a near miss. We might feel a bit of a breeze as it goes by, but it's only one-tenth of uh, the distance that some of our communication satellites are. So that's kind of amazing when you think about it. And being it's delivery truck sized, I, I got to wonder if it might even be a little bit of a, an experiment from Amazon or something too. <laughs> you never know what those guys are up to. They're always trying to find new ways to uh, deliver those packages faster and faster. It'll be maybe, you know, we have Amazon, Amazon Prime, maybe it'll be the next, something related to the asteroid in the name will be even faster delivery service. So you never know, it could be around the bend. If you're down there in the tip of South America, Santiago, Chile, perhaps uh, you might be able to get a glimpse of it. Uh, but for us here in the Northern Hemisphere, I think we're out of luck, guys. Well, maybe we're safer that way. No, carry there, on. There you go. <laughs>
Thanks again, as always, uh, Glenn and Sarah. And we always start every hour here on Morning Air, always in prayer. First things first, always giving thanks to our Lord for all of the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Quick reminder, you can always find us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, at Morning Air Show. And if you want to send us an email directly, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. A number of you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now I want to shift gears and talk about uh, something that for me as a dad is important and I find uh, quite irrelevant. As Catholic parents, we have a commitment to raise our kids in the Catholic faith. It is a challenge and it is a struggle for a lot of parents. Uh, There are many ways to incorporate the faith to kids today. We're going to talk about specifically uh, doing it uh, with uh, children's books. How can children's books be used to form kids in the faith? Joining us now live from South Bend, Indiana, home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, is award-winning Catholic children's author Gracie Jagla, with much more on why children's books are a parent's best friend to teaching the faith. Gracie is a wife and mother. She's written several books, including God the Father and The Best Day Ever and The Night the Saints Saved Christmas. And her third book, Jesus and the Miracle of the Mass, is coming soon this February. You can find out much more about her books, babies, and tips for Catholic living at her Instagram account and a sprinkle of grace, it's called. Good morning, Gracie. Thanks for joining us once again. It is great to be with you, I believe, for the first time here in the new year. It is. Good morning, John. I'm happy to be here with you, too. I'm looking out. I don't know what your weather's like, but we have tons of snow, so I've been out with my little girls, which with a two-year-old and a one-year-old means like 45 minutes of putting them in snow clothes and then 10 minutes outside, but we're enjoying it, so... Well, Gracie, like like I said uh, in the intro here, I, I find this this topic of uh, of children's books very fascinating. My, my guy is uh, is too big to be called a child anymore. He's now fifteen. He's uh, about five inches taller than I am. So, uh, but I so so remember you know spending precious times uh, you know at bedside you know uh, reading children's books uh, with him uh, you know and, and you know these were special moments can you explain uh, why uh, children's books are a parent's best friend specifically in teaching the catholic faith i think that children's books are one of the best tools that a parent can possibly have to hand on the faith and i found that already in my first years as parenting so I was raised really well in the faith, and I went to Franciscan University and had great parents, and I, you feel like you know a lot about the faith, and you also realize it's the most important thing in the world you can ever do for your child is to give them an opportunity to love Jesus and be close to Him. 
But when I actually had my own children and I have this two-year-old and a one-year-old, I find it's very easy to go throughout your day without mentioning Jesus or explaining matters of the faith. Or maybe it's even more reasonable to say you might really want to hand on the faith, but it's so hard to know where to begin. And you might know your faith well, but it's so hard to make that understandable for children. It's not necessarily an easy thing. So when you have a children's book, it can open up doors to conversations that you might never have thought to have with your children unless the book was presenting it. And it does it in such a natural way because they're written for a child's age and it doesn't feel pushy. It doesn't feel like you're preaching at them. It just feels intimate and beautiful and uses the most natural experience in the world of reading to your child. And uh, so, sometimes uh, there are uh, dif- difficult aspects of our Catholic faith that are, you know, uh, uh, tough to, to teach to a, to a, 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 little, a little one. Um, can, can you explain why, uh, you know, trying to teach these, some of these complex, uh, you know, doctrines and dogmas of our faith uh, it might be able to be done a, a little bit more easier uh, with a children's book? Absolutely. One of the best things about children's books that are coming out now is as much as they're written for children, there are so many of them that are not watered down at all. They retain all of the truths of the teachings of the faith. Um, They're not fluff. They're written for children, but they have really good content. And I can give you two specific examples. We love this book called Listening for Jesus. It's by Katie Warner, and it's trying to explain to children how to find God in the silence. And it actually takes children through this interactive activity of closing your eyes for a minute and trying to picture yourself with Jesus. So it seems really simple, right? But what is that actually teaching? It's contemplation. It's an early form of contemplation where you sit in the silence and you think about God and you place yourself in His presence. And I found that even my two-year-old can sit for just a minute in complete quietness and think about Jesus. Now, contemplation is something that I would never think that you could teach a two-year-old, and I would never in my daily life sit down and tell my children, let's work on contemplation. But when you have a book, it's the most natural entryway into it. And I learned because of this book, absolutely young children are capable of that. The other example that comes to my mind of teaching something difficult about the faith, the first children's book I wrote, God the Father and the Best Day Ever, it's a book about basically the resurrection, but from God's perspective. So how do children, um, how did God feel when the gates of heaven were open? We hear that Easter story so often from earth, but what did that mean for God to finally be able to welcome us all in? And there was a mom recently who told me that she, they lost their grandfather and that their little child was having a really hard time understanding that. And they happened upon this book, God the Father and the Best Day Ever. And when they read it, they They said it brought so much peace to this little child to understand where his grandpa was and that he was actually able to kind of get through that grief and be excited that his grandpa got to be in such a wonderful place and excited that he could go there too one day. And it was so touching to me, not because I had written it, but touching to see how the Holy Spirit works through children's books, because I never intended when I wrote a book for it to help a child through something difficult like grief or loss or understanding heaven in such a big way. But the Holy Spirit is just so great and so creative and so involved in our lives that I believe when you sit down with even a simple children's book and you have the best of intentions, the Holy Spirit will come into that experience and He'll bring so many graces out of it and He'll teach your children so many things that you might never have even anticipated. 
We're supposed to have a childlike faith. So maybe even uh, the parents and the, the moms or dads that, that uh, share children's books uh, with their children, uh, they may also be uplifted and inspired by some of the things uh, in children's books. I love the cover of uh, your book, uh, God yeah, the Father, uh, the, the Best Day Ever. It is absolutely precious. Uh, are those uh, your two children on the cover? <laughs> on the cover of God the Father? Yes. No, they are not my two children, but there are hidden little things inside the book. So um, they, the illustrator drew my picture in on one page, which was a surprise, and he also put my dad's picture in. My dad is a really funny guy, and when I started writing children's books, my dad made this joke, like, I want, instead of Where's Waldo, for it to be Where's Bobby, that's his name. He wanted to be hidden inside all of my books, and the illustrator so graciously put a picture of my dad, and so every time my girls read the book, they love to say, there's Papa, there's Papa in the book. But it is true that children's books can be just as good for parents as they can for children, and I learn every day with the kinds of beautiful books they're putting out. There's nothing wrong with learning from something simple and, like you said, being childlike in God's eyes. Absolutely. I want to bring in our listeners. If you have any thoughts, uh, if you use children's books in teaching uh, the Catholic faith, if you want to be part of our conversation with award-winning Catholic children's author uh, Gracie Jagla, we are taking your calls, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Uh, Gracie, I want to bring in our uh, resident mom and studio producer, Sarah. Uh, Sarah, uh, do you have any uh, any thoughts on the, the beauty of using uh, children's books? Yeah, no, it's so funny when Gracie was saying about, you know, how, you know, there's no shame in learning, being evangelized and learning from these children's books as an adult. And man, some of these concepts in our Catholic faith are so complicated. It feels like it's hard to wrap your mind around it. But when they, you know, bring it down to the level of the simplicity uh, that a child can understand, sometimes, as Jesus said, we need to be like, the children that's where we really understand too and i've learned like you said grace you learned so much just from kind of hearing how they're kind of phrasing it and how we're kind of bringing it to the understanding of a child sometimes that's when it clicks for you as an adult and then just asking your kids okay well what do you think about this or what do you think this means and then it can kind of grow into a bigger conversation and even with you know kids that i have that are a little bit older than your two uh gracie but it, sometimes they can understand better too when you, oh yeah, mm -hmm. I remember that book you read to me when I was little. Oh, that's what it meant. Oh, I understand it in a new way. I mean, earlier we had been talking about how you can read the same gospel passage over and over. And then one day it just hits you in a different way because you're in a different place in your life. And that is exactly what, you know, all these different concepts that we have in the Catholic church, sometimes, you know, we understand it, I guess. Sure. Okay. And then later on in life, when we're in a different season, it hits us in a different way, in a different understanding. And these books, like you said, they're written so well. Your books, too. They're written so well that they really can capture something within us and in our kids to kind of start those conversations. And I'm writing down that listening for God. That sounds like a good one for our family. I know I usually often go to the holyheroes.com or even Voyage Comics. They have a variety of different books from a variety of different authors that they're writing it in different styles, comic or, or whatever. And it's 
an attention. It draws your kid in, and then you can get to these deep topics, and they can understand our faith in such a way that they were never even thinking before. And we were not even thinking before, which is an amazing and beautiful thing that there's a market for that, and there's such a hunger for that as parents and the kids out there. Well, and I love the role that children's imagination plays because, like you said, Sarah, uh, just children have such a unique perspective. And I think when we're adults, we hear the same story so many times, you kind of forget how amazing it is. And then a child's imagination works so well with God because God is so creative and he gave them those imaginations and they think of things in different ways. I know my mom runs children's adoration groups and children say beautiful things. And she was trying to teach them that when you're looking at the monstrance, that or actually, it was, I guess it was putting Jesus in the tabernacle. And she said, Jesus lives in the tabernacle, Jesus, who's God, and he's right there in the tabernacle. And one of the children said, wow, do you ever get to take him out and just look at him? And I mean, that's adoration. That's what we have all the time. But for a child hearing that the first time, hearing God is being kept right there in our church, their mind just was in such awe, like, let's just look at him, which is the most beautiful reinterpretation of adoration. But so much we can learn from children. No question. And uh, speaking of adoration, uh, you have a new book, Jesus and the Miracle of the Mass, that is uh, right around the corner. Can you give us a sneak peek? Absolutely. I'm going to get to come talk about it in a few weeks here, but it's called Jesus and the Miracle of the Mass. So obviously it's a book about the Mass, specifically the Eucharist. And there are a lot of children's books about the Mass right now, but this one is really unique. Most children's books on the Mass talk about what's happening literally in Mass from an earthly perspective, so walking kids through the parts of the Mass or the things you might see around a church. This book attempts to pull back the veil between heaven and earth and show children all the mysteries and glories that are going on truly at every Mass, but that you might not see. So it talks about how the angels and saints and loved ones are swooping down and squeezing into your pews to adore Jesus with you. And it talks about that precious moment when you've received Jesus into your heart, and you might not know what to say sitting there in the pew, but it has beautiful illustrations of how he's so close to you. It's as if you're sitting on his lap or as if he's wrapping you up in his arms. So it's a walk through the Mass from a heavenly perspective, and I'm so excited. It's such a blessing. It's the most beautiful thing in the world to be able to write about something as important as the Eucharist, and you can find it pre-order now on our Sunday Visitor or Amazon. Sounds uh, fantastic. Uh, Gracie, uh, Tasha is uh, joining us this morning from Conway, Arkansas. Good morning, uh, Tasha. Welcome to Morning Air. Good morning. How are y'all? We're doing well, uh, counting our blessings. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm doing very good. Um, I just wanted to call. I'm getting ready for, for work this morning, and um, I've just really enjoyed listening to you guys. Um, I'm a newly converted Catholic. It's been almost two years now, and um, I work at a university here. And um, something I was really that I really liked your uh, your guest speaker that was speaking today. That I know a lot of people when they start the Catholic faith or uh, maybe go through the RCI journey or interested in it, feel a little overwhelmed with, it seemed like the complex academics maybe of of the Catholic faith. But what I've used even in myself, using children's books to sort of help you transition and get that basic thought in. So, I mean, I myself, it doesn't matter if you have a master's degree, bachelor's degree, sometimes I'm still a toddler and a baby in the Catholic faith. So I have to kind of go back sometimes and um, get the basic concepts. And then I start going into the layers of um, 
the wonderful, beautiful layers of the of the Catholic Church in its in its adulthood. Um, my oldest son, my sons are both in their twenties, and they're going to go. They're about to go through the RCIA program as well. And I like to meet people where they are, and sometimes uh, just comforting them and let them know it's not like a less intelligent thing. But sometimes just meeting people, uh, especially if you grew up Protestant or anything else, um, you didn't get all those basics in. But that childlike um, spirit and love—it's it, really—it really touches them. Well, Tasha, I really appreciate you calling in. Thanks for uh, sharing, uh, coming into the fullness of the Christian faith, coming into the Catholic faith. Uh, We're a little bit short on time. I want to get Gracie's thoughts. Oh, I just think that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Congratulations on coming into the church. I'm always so impressed at converts. I sometimes wonder if I wasn't born into the faith, could I have found my way to that? Because I think that's just um, it's such a gift, and you have such an openness to faith. And I know you said you use children's books to help you because you're a convert, but I would say, oh my gosh, I think all Catholics can be learning like that and learning from you and your process. I think all adults should be starting at the beginning, no matter how much you were raised in the faith. And you're such a good witness of always being willing to learn. And I'm sure it makes Jesus so joyful in heaven to have you and your sons coming up. God bless you, Tasha. Thank you so much uh, for sharing. And um, Gracie, I so much appreciate uh, your uh, journalistic and motherly perspective on this oh, issue of uh, the importance me. of children's books. And uh, we uh, wish you nothing but the, the best with your upcoming uh, release. It sounds like it's going to be absolutely outstanding. Jesus and the Miracle of the Mass. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on uh, before it actually comes on. We could get more in-depth uh, to talk about your upcoming book. Absolutely. Again, real Thank quick, you so uh, your address on Instagram again. And a sprinkle of grace. I love it. Thanks so much, (laughs) Gracie. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Many blessings to you. Gracie Jagla. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will be in the house to talk about Saints Timothy and Titus, as well as the importance of reading and studying sacred scripture. So stay with us. We're going to talk about uh, these two great saints, disciples of St. Paul, uh, Scripture, and much more as Morning Air continues here on this Thursday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air on the Memorial of Saints Timothy and Titus. I'm John Morales, along with uh, Glenn and producer Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Galatians 2.20. The Apostle St. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that if we are united to the cross of Christ, We have died to our former ways, especially to our enslavement to sin. If we live the grace of our baptism as a new creation in Christ, living out our faith in Christ, working deeds of love, then the life of Christ lives in us, and we can shine the light of our Lord Jesus Christ for all the world 
to see. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer, short prayer from the Chapel of Divine Mercy that Drew Mariani prays every afternoon. Jesus, I trust in you. A number, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Today, the Catholic Church is celebrating the memorial feast of Saints Timothy and Titus. Both were disciples of the Apostle St. Paul that we celebrated yesterday on the feast of his conversion. Who were these two saints and bishops of the early church, and what can we learn about zeal and evangelization from these two? Joining us live is our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, to talk about the significance of Saints Timothy and Titus. Father Kabicki is a Jesuit priest, a retreat director, and a spiritual director at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and a longtime relevant radio contributor with his daily prayer reflections, as well as a contributor to this program. Good morning, Father Kabicki. Thanks so much uh, for joining us again. It is great to be with you on this day. Last couple of days uh, have been uh, pretty special with St. Paul yesterday and today, uh, Timothy and Titus. That's right, John. Good to be with you as well. And, uh, you know, yesterday was also the end of the week of prayer for Christian unity and uh you know what we what we see. I think it's so wonderful that having celebrated St. Paul and his conversion yesterday, uh, today we celebrate some of the let's say fruit of that conversion, where St. Paul went on to become not only a great missionary and evangelizer, but also a, a great friend uh, to people like Timothy and Titus, and uh, they're a great example to us of uh, how our friendship and our direction, our example, can help others find Jesus and and follow him more closely. So uh, first, John, let's talk a little bit about um, who these guys were. Uh, Timothy was uh, the son of a, a Christian woman, uh, but um, excuse me, of a Jewish woman and a Greek pagan father. And uh, he became a Christian while St. Paul was on his first missionary trip. Now, if we go to the Acts of the Apostles, we see that St. Paul made three missionary trips uh, around the Mediterranean area. And on his first one, he met um, Timothy, and uh, Timothy was drawn uh, through Paul to become a Christian. And then he accompanied St. Paul on his second and third missionary journeys and eventually uh, ended up being uh, bishop in care of the Church of, of Ephesus in Asia Minor. Uh, but St. Paul also sent him to other parts of the Mediterranean area, to Macedonia, to uh, parts of what is now Greece. And then Titus also was someone, uh, he came from a pagan family and uh, converted to Christianity during Paul's first missionary journey as well. And we find him in the Acts of the Apostles accompanying Paul and Barnabas to what is considered the first council of the church, the council at Jerusalem, where the whole question of um, whether pagans, Gentiles, had to become circumcised in order to be Christian. And so um, we, we have uh, Titus accompanying Paul and Barnabas there. And then uh, later we see that he also uh, worked with St. Paul 
and uh, eventually became the bishop of the church in Crete, that island in the Mediterranean Sea. So uh, again, we see this multiplying influence of people like St. Paul, and we have to imagine then from Timothy and Titus how many other people became Christian and were drawn to Jesus through their leadership and influence. And a lot of what we know is uh, from these uh, epistles, uh, the, these letters that St. Paul uh, wrote uh, to his uh, disciples. That's right. You know, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, we find out the name of uh, Timothy's mother. It was Eunice, and his grandmother's name was Lois. And uh, so we, we learn a little bit about their background, um, and we also uh, get that then again in the Acts of the Apostles. So these are, are historical figures that uh, we have a lot of evidence for their existence and their work. And uh, and St. Paul uh, writing to Timothy, uh, one of there's so many uh, scriptures that St. Paul wrote, but the, in these epistles uh, to Timothy, um, in in the second letter to Timothy, in uh, chapter three, verse sixteen, this is where we uh, where we get uh, our our teaching on, on on scripture being inspired. Where St. Paul writes, uh, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproving, for correcting. Uh, for instructing in justice, that the man of God may be perfect and equipped for every good work. And and he was writing this, uh, encouraging uh, that uh, to uh, Timothy, his disciple. That's right. You know, and, you know, the earliest uh, writings that we have, a lot of people think, well, because the Gospels follow the life of Jesus, they came first. But actually, St. Paul's letters are the first things that are written that are part of the New Testament, the inspired Word of God. And I think it's so important, you know, we just last Sunday, on the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, uh, celebrated the Sunday of the Word of God, something that Pope Francis instituted. And I think it's so important to take seriously those words that you quoted to us, John, about Scripture being inspired and being so important for uh, helping us in in our lives, giving us direction. Um, I once heard that, you know, the average Christian spends more time in one evening watching television than the whole rest of the week reading the Bible. And that really should convict us to ask ourselves, you know, what's forming my attitudes? What's um, um, forming my values? Is it the Word of God, or is it the entertainment or or the news programs that basically tend to get us more upset than help us. And and I, I think that's where, you know, we really have to um, look at the Word of God as um, something very important that should be part of our daily lives. No question about it. It reminds me of two things. Uh, Father Simon always uh, joking about the, the Bible being on the coffee table here on Relevant Radio on his show. And uh, it's something I, I read years ago, uh, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but it's called uh, um, they, they Lie on the Table Side by Side, the Holy Bible and the TV Guide. Obviously, we don't have TV guides anymore like in the old days, but it was a whole, like a poem about the value yeah. of the Holy Bible, as opposed to all the junk that's in the in the, the TV guide, and the, you know, it's 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 really kind of a, a neat little reminder that uh, you know this is so valuable for us as Catholics, and it really and it's a Catholic book on top of that. And I think that that's really the, what Pope Francis wants us to do to become much more familiar with a sacred scripture, and that's why he uh, instituted uh, that Word of God Sunday, um, you know, th- th- three years ago. 
That's right. You know, and I'd love to hear from our listeners, John, you know, how they make the Word of God, the Bible, um, a part of their daily lives. You know, what do they do to make sure that their mind, their heart is being formed by uh, the Word of God? Or, you know, from these three letters that we have, uh, the two letters to Timothy, the one letter to Titus, you know, are there are there some favorite passages that, that some of our listeners may have? You know, for me, one of my favorite passages that I, I use all the time is in uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul answers the question, what is the pillar and foundation of the truth? And many of our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters would say, well, the pillar and foundation of the truth is the Bible. But that's not what St. Paul says. And the Bible itself does not say that. St. Paul says that it's the church that is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Because without the church helping us interpret the Bible correctly, we start going into our own individual interpretations, and we end up dividing into all the many denominations that we see in the world today. So I I think that particular passage of St. Paul is one of my favorites to help people understand that it's not the Bible alone, but it's the Bible and the sacred tradition, the magisterium, the church, helping us understand the Bible. That is such a a great point. I, I too, love uh, that scripture. The church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the the truth. The church. In fact, the idea of um, the Bible alone is not mentioned anywhere in the entire New Testament. You could read it with a fine tooth comb from beginning to end and you'll never find anything that talks about the bible uh being uh, you know the the sole authority for the christian only the church of the living god so you need the church to properly interpret uh and safeguard and protect uh, and teach what the bible says that's right so let's hopefully we'll hear from some of our listeners about what the Word of God means to them and, and how they make it part of their daily lives, maybe some advice for all of us to follow. Absolutely. I want to bring on any of you uh, lovers of the Bible, uh, Scripture uh, readers, uh, if you're in a Bible study, uh, if you want to share your favorite uh, passage from Holy Scripture, um, perhaps maybe uh, letters uh, of St. Paul uh, to uh, Timothy and Titus, if you have verses that you'd like to share with us, love to hear from you. And also maybe to talk about why uh, reading, taking those moments to read from the Bible is such an important part of your day. Love to hear from you. Again, 888 We're taking your calls for Father James Kabicki. 888 Please don't wait till the very end, otherwise we run out of time. So we're going to take a short uh, break as we continue our discussion with Father Kabicki. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. You're home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. This is Morning Air. Get connected to the conversation. 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149 is our number. We're, we're talking, uh, we've been uh, reflecting on 
uh, Saints Timothy and Titus, the feast that we are honoring uh, today that we're celebrating here in the Catholic Church just a day after we celebrate the conversion of the Apostles St. Paul. As uh, we continue our conversation with Father James Kabicki, our spiritual director, uh, talking about the importance of the Bible for us as Catholics. I, again, if uh, if you want to uh, share with us uh, how important uh, Scripture is for you, maybe some uh, favorite passages uh, that uh, you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. 888 um, Father Kabicki, I, I think that it, it was uh, very timely that um, His Holiness Pope Francis instituted uh, this uh, day uh, on the third Sunday of the year, Word of God Sunday. He really wants us to become more familiar uh, with God's Word. That's right, because we share the Word of God uh, with all Christians. Uh, all Christians turn to the Word of God as uh, God revealing himself and teaching us. It's, a, it's as Hebrews chapter 4 says, it's a living and effective word. And so it's, it's no surprise that Pope Francis would choose the third Sunday of ordinary time, which always falls in the week of prayer for Christian unity, to invite Catholics to be more, uh, let's say, engaged in the study and of the, of the Bible and also uh, using it in their prayer lives. So he sees that uh, the Word of God is something that can help bring Christians together because it is something that we share uh, with all denominations of Christians. Father Kabicki, you wanted to hear from our listeners. You got them. Lisa is joining us uh, this morning uh, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Good morning, Lisa. You're on with Father Kabicki. Good morning. Hey, I turned you on um and I was, I, I love, I love my church and I love my word of God. I was just wondering, you don't mean to put the church before the word of God, right? Because remember the church will burn and the word of God will stand forever. That's right. No, Lisa. Uh, uh, and in fact, the second Vatican council teaches that there's two sources of revelation. We have the, the Bible and then again, the church from which the Bible came because the church didn't just come out of the blue. It came through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, there were many different Gospels uh, in the first centuries of the church, and some of them had some pretty strange things in them. Um, uh, in fact, like the, the Gospel of Thomas said that um, women will be saved if they become men. Um, so, you know, the church looked at that and said, this, this, this cannot be the, the Word of God. This cannot be inspired by the Scriptures. So the church is the one that declared the four Gospels that we have are the authentic Word of God. And so you, you have the two together, you know, the Bible and the church uh, working together, the tradition of the church working together to uh, help us understand God's ways and what God is calling us to. So thank you, Lisa, for that question, because that helps clarify this a little more, I think. Thanks again, uh, Lisa. Really do appreciate it. Um, Krista is joining us uh, from uh, Kawasha, Wisconsin. Good morning, uh, Krista. Good morning, Kiwaskum, Wisconsin. <laughs> But that's okay. You were close. Um, good morning, Father. Good morning, Krista. Are you, you're calling from Holy Trinity Parish in Kewaskum, right? You betcha. All right. 
So um, I want to say, like, I was raised Catholic um, my whole life, Catholic school, all of that, but I was never really into the Bible. We weren't really taught scripture, just gospel. And about six years ago, I just had this deep hunger for the Lord, like physically deep hunger um, for God. And I had talked to a neighbor about it, and she said, you came to the right place. We're starting a woman's Bible study and I was like, okay, this is amazing. Um, I started with them in this Bible study. And a year into it, when I had met all of these strong, wonderful, godly women, our youngest daughter um, was two and a half at the time, and she was diagnosed with cancer. And I feel like the Lord knew that was coming for me and that I was going to need scripture to get through that journey, that part of our life. And Through that journey, my verse was, um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength in Philippians 3.14. And it's been my power verse ever since. And I'm happy to say our daughter is now seven and a half, thriving. Um, She has overcome the cancer. And, yeah, it's been a beautiful journey. And I'm still part of my Bible study and just loving the Lord. Wow, Krista, thank you. You know, your, your witness, uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, the scripture is, is something that can inspire me. And, but, but there's power in that. And, and just there's no coincidence that you happen to find this group of godly women to come together and pray and study the scripture. And that this would have an influence not only in your dealing with a challenging uh, situation, your daughter's cancer, but also I, I think there's just a power as we open ourselves up to that living word of God that that power can flow through us and uh, also bring healing into our world. So uh, I really appreciate that witness, Krista. Thank you. Thanks so much, uh, Krista. We go to Lucy in San Antonio, Texas. Good morning, Lucy. You're on with Father Kabiki. Good morning. Good morning. God bless you. I love morning air, and I, I just I'm I'm just absolutely in love with Relevant Radio. Uh, Father, I wanted to tell you how much I appreciate those little spots that you do. I play them over and over again during the day, and it's taught me so much. Uh, what I wanted to share quickly is reading 150 Psalms, the book, the, the book of Psalms, in 30 days. You read five a day, and how you do it is like if today was February the 1st, you go February 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and that's your five. But you, I mark up my Bibles, but to do it in your head, like today is the 26th of, of January. So you go five times six is 35 times two, so it's 130. But you go backwards, otherwise you'll end up with 155 Psalms. Now, hardly ever can you read all 150 in one month. But you'll know the day that you're on, and it actually sometimes miraculously matches up with the divine office. And it is so wow. rich because I'll be going through horrible things and, 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 and John and Father, and all of a sudden I go, oh, I didn't read my Psalms. And I'll start reading even just one or two or a few verses, and it's exactly what I need. Yeah, well, the Psalms coming from King David, uh, you know, they address all the different moments of life, the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs. So uh, you're right. The Word of God can really touch us through those Psalms. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks so much, uh, Lucy. And uh, Jesus prayed the Psalms. Uh, Father, can you give us your blessing? I'm happy to do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus and for the living word in which he comes to us and encounters us. 
Bless us and our families in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much, uh, Father James Kabicki, our spiritual director. Now it's time for another edition of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called Loyalty Matters. It's from Joy Abel. My dad has bees. Today I went to his house and he showed me all of the honey that he'd gotten from the hives. He took the lid off a five-gallon bucket full of honey, and on top of the honey there were three little bees struggling. They were covered in sticky honey and drowning. I asked him if we could help them, and he said he was sure they wouldn't survive casualties of honey collection, I suppose. I asked him again if we could at least get them out and kill them quickly. After all, he was the one who taught me to put a suffering animal or a bug out of its misery. He finally conceded and scooped the bees out of the bucket. He put them in an empty yogurt container and put the plastic container outside. Because he had disrupted the hive with the earlier honey collection, there were bees flying all over outside. We put the three little bees in the container on a bench and left them to their fates. My dad called me out a little while later to show me what was happening. These three little bees were surrounded by all of their sisters. All the bees, they're female. And they were cleaning the sticky, nearly dead bees, helping them to get all the honey off of their bodies. We came back a short time later and there was only one little bee left in the container. She was still being tended to by her sisters. When it was time for me to leave, we checked one last time, and all three of the bees had been cleaned off enough to fly away, and the container was empty. Those three little bees lived because they were surrounded by family and friends who would not give up on them, family and friends who refused to let them drown in their own stickiness and resolved to help till the last little bee could be set free. Bee sisters, bee peers, bee teammates, we could all learn a thing or two from these bees. Be kind, always. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And that's what it's all about. Uh, Try to get to Mass today if you can, and that'll do it for this Thursday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Friday on the next Morning Air.